This podcast is brought to you by the Reformed Witness Committee of Hope Protestant Reformed Church in Walker, Michigan. It is our goal to spread our distinct Protestant Reformed views based on the Word of God and the Reformed Confessions. We hope that this message is edifying to you. I'll begin by reading a few words from the last chapter of Micah, Micah chapter 7, verse 18 to the end. Who is a God like unto thee, that pardoneth iniquity, and passeth by the transgression of the remnant of his heritage? He retaineth not his anger for ever, because he delighteth in mercy. He will turn again, he will have compassion upon us, he will subdue our iniquities, and thou wilt cast all their sins into the depths of the sea. Thou wilt perform the truth to Jacob and the mercy to Abraham, which thou hast sworn unto our fathers from the days of old. In our last three lectures, we looked first, what is sin? Second, our sin and God's justice. And third, God is good. And this evening, we turn to the subject of the forgiveness of our sins. And of course, all these subjects are related to one another. One of the great works of God is the forgiveness of sins. In fact, the prophet Micah, at the very end of his prophecy, says, Who is a God like unto thee that pardoneth iniquity? In other words, there is no God like Jehovah, the true and living God, who pardons sins, who forgives sins. To understand the wonder of the forgiveness of sins, we need to understand the seriousness of sin. And we look at that especially in Micah 7 this evening. Look at the words that Micah uses to describe the sins which God forgives. The first word is sin. Who is a God like unto thee that pardoneth iniquity? And then he says in verse 19, Thou wilt cast all their sins into the depths of the sea. And that word sin in the Hebrew language means missing of the mark. Missing of the mark. And the idea behind that word is that God the Creator has given to us a goal at which we must aim our lives. And we are called, therefore, to shoot, as it were, at that goal or target. And when we miss... We sin. When we miss, we sin. So it's not that we have the liberty to live as we please. God has not created us so that we can live as we please. The mark at which we must aim all of our life is the glory of God. And we glorify God, the Bible tells us, by keeping his commandments. By loving God with our whole heart and soul 
and mind and strength and loving our neighbor as ourselves. That's the goal. That's the target. And God is only pleased if we hit the bullseye every time. And when we sin, we miss the mark. That doesn't mean, however, that we sincerely attempt to hit the mark, but that we suffer from poor marksmanship. It means rather that we have deliberately set up a different target and we aim at that target instead of the target of God's glory. We aim at our own pleasure. We aim at our own desires. We aim at what seems good to us. But we do not aim at the glory of God. And therefore, of course, we do not hit the glory of God. And so the Bible talks about sin this way. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. All have sinned. Not only have all sinned in their words and thoughts and deeds, but all have sinned in their very nature because they are by nature corrupt and depraved because of their fall into sin in Adam. That's the first word, sin, missing the mark. The second word in Micah 7 verse 18 is transgressions. Transgressions. And that word transgression means rebellion. Rebellion. And that makes us think of the truth that God is the sovereign king and lawgiver and we are creatures who owe him obedience and submission. And so when God says, thou shalt, we must. And when God says, thou shalt not, we must not. And when we instead do what we want to do, instead of what God says we must do, we are guilty of rebellion, we transgress. We deliberately and willfully rise up in rebellion against our Creator. God says, thou shalt, and we say, I will not. God says, thou shalt not, and we say, I will. That's transgression. And thus, as rebels against God, we trample God's law underfoot and we serve ourselves instead of the Creator. The third word that Micah uses in verse 18 again is iniquities. Iniquity is another common Old Testament word for sin. It has the idea of twisted or perverse. If something is twisted or perverse or crooked, it does not conform to a certain standard. God has a standard. That standard is 
righteousness and whatever does not conform to that standard is by definition twisted crooked perverse iniquity and so in our iniquity we refuse to conform ourselves to God's standard and we live a deliberately twisted and perverted life. We do all things not to serve God, not to glorify him, but to serve ourselves, to serve our own pleasures and lusts. So sin transgression and iniquity and those three things are a description of the people in the Old Testament in Micah's day in the Old Testament church mind you in Micah's day and those three words describe every single person living upon the earth today even the most morally upright person living on the earth today is guilty of sin, transgression, and iniquity. And if you do not believe that concerning yourself, and if you do not understand that concerning yourself, you will not be able to understand the wonder of forgiveness. Who is a God like unto thee, that pardoneth iniquity. So Micah uses those three words to describe sin, and then he goes on to use several words, five words or five phrases, to explain what he means by forgiveness, what God does with respect to those who are guilty of sin and transgression and iniquity and the first word is forgive or pardon who is a god like unto thee that pardoneth iniquity and that word pardon in the hebrew means to carry away or to lift hebrew is a very picture-like language the words themselves evoke an image or a picture in our minds. And so the idea here is that sin is like a terrible crushing burden. The guilt of sin weighs down upon a person. And when God forgives, he lifts up that burden and he carries it away so that the person who was being crushed under that burden experiences relief and peace. That's the beautiful idea of forgiveness. Who is a God like unto thee that pardoneth, carries away, lifts away iniquity or perverseness or twistedness? The second phrase is passing by. Verse 18, passeth by the transgression of the remnant of his heritage. 
So here are the people of God in the Old Testament, and they are guilty of transgression. They're guilty of gross, wicked rebellion against God, and God passes it by. That means he walks past it without paying attention to it, or he walks past it deliberately disregarding it. That's the meaning of the verb to pass by. He deliberately disregards it and does not punish it. That's forgiveness. The third phrase is in verse 18 again, he retaineth not his anger. God has anger against sin because God is holy and so his natural response to sin must be wrath or anger. Here, he retaineth not his anger. He does not hold on to his anger. He lets his anger go. The word means to strengthen one's self. He does not strengthen himself in his anger. He does not, as it were, strengthen himself to prepare himself to inflict punishment upon the one with whom he is angry. That's what God's forgiveness means. He turns away from his anger. He lets go of his anger. In verse 19, we have the fourth phrase, he will subdue our iniquities. And that word subdue means to conquer, to overpower, to bring into subjection. Sin subdues us. Sin overpowers us. Sin controls us. We do not have the power of ourselves to break free from the power of sin because it is an enslaving, controlling power in our lives. And when God saves us, when God forgives us, he breaks that power of sin so that we are no longer subdued by sin, but rather he subdues our iniquities under us and we are now free to serve him and to worship him from a glad heart. And then fifth, in this regard, Micah uses a figurative expression, thou wilt cast all their sins into the depth of the sea. So God pardons iniquity, he passes by transgression, he retaineth not his anger, he subdues our iniquities and he casts all our sins into the depth of the sea. That means, of course, a complete and final and permanent removal of our sins so that they can never destroy us again. If you were to take a ship into the middle of the Atlantic Ocean and then drop 
a small heavy object overboard, that object would be swallowed up into the depth of the Atlantic Ocean. And you would never see that object again. That's the idea here. God casts all our sins into the depth of the sea. And of course, the historical analogy is to the Egyptians, where God cast the Egyptians into the depth of the sea, the Red Sea, in order to deliver his people from their, from their slavery in Egypt. And Moses said, you'll never see them again. You'll never see the Egyptians again. They'll never rise up to attack you or destroy you again. They'll be gone forever. And that's the idea here. God casts our sins into the depth of the sea. They are forever forgotten. They are swallowed up. They will never rise up again. They will never be held against us. They will never rise up on the last day, as it were, on Judgment Day, and condemn us, because God will never hold them against us. That's the idea of forgiveness. And no wonder Micah can exclaim in wonder at the end of this prophecy, Who is a God like unto thee? What other God has ever done anything like this? Micah could look around at Baal and Asherah and Molech and the other gods of the heathen. The gods, mind you, that the Israelites foolishly attempted to worship. And he could say, have those gods ever done anything even close to what Jehovah has done? And are you going to worship those gods instead of Jehovah, the sin-forgiving God? And the same is true today. There is no other God apart from the true God, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who forgives sins. And there is no other way of forgiveness of sins except through faith in this God. Now, why does God forgive? That comes out of the passage as well. There are two reasons that Micah gives why God forgives. First of all, God forgives because, verse 18, he delighteth in mercy. He delighteth in mercy. Mercy, as we have seen in earlier lectures, mercy is a deep tenderness in God's heart by which he has compassion upon miserable sinners. That's what mercy is. It's therefore in God a great and deep desire to deliver such miserable sinners from their misery and make them blessed. And because it is God's mercy, it is a mighty power by which he does actually indeed deliver such 
miserable sinners from their misery and actually makes them blessed. And Micah says, and he's unique in saying this in the Bible, this particular expression, Micah says that Jehovah God does not only have mercy or show mercy or give mercy, he delights in mercy. He loves to be merciful. It gives him great pleasure to be merciful. He is not begrudging in his mercy. He is not reluctant to show mercy. He loves his mercy. He loves to display his mercy. That's why he chose his people in Jesus Christ, that his mercy might be eternally praised. And that, of course, is a great incentive to the Israelites who are fleeing from God and worshipping idols to come to Jehovah. He delights in mercy. And that is a great incentive for us this evening to come to Jehovah through Jesus Christ. He delights in mercy. And the second reason why God forgives is also found in the passage. It's because God is faithful to his promises. He's merciful and he is faithful. Verse 20, Thou wilt perform the truth to Jacob and the mercy to Abraham, which thou hast sworn unto our fathers from the days of old. God made promises to Abraham and to Jacob and to the fathers, which is why God cannot destroy his people. Because if he destroyed his people, then he would be breaking his promise to Abraham and Jacob and to the fathers. That's the idea in Micah chapter 7. God made this promise to Abraham in Genesis 12 verse 3. In thee, in thee, Abraham, shall all the families of the earth be blessed. And how did God fulfill that promise? He fulfilled that promise by giving to Abraham a seed. And who is that seed? That seed is the Lord Jesus Christ, as Galatians 3 verse 16 tells us. And through that seed, the Lord Jesus Christ, forgiveness comes not only to believing Jews, but also to believing Gentiles. And so the promise to Abraham, in thee shall all the families of the earth be blessed. All the families, every nation, tribe, and tongue shall be blessed in thee, Abraham. That's my promise to thee, Abraham. And that's why God cannot destroy his people, because then his promise would fail. Now, how does God forgive? 
We've looked at what this forgiveness is. But how does God forgive? He forgives in Jesus Christ. He forgives in Jesus Christ. He must forgive in Jesus Christ because he must be both merciful and just. You see, if you've been paying attention, and I'm sure you have been paying attention, you may have thought to yourself, but how is that possible? How could God possibly do that? How could God carry away sin and lift it away? How could God pass by transgression? How could God let go of his anger? How could God subdue iniquity? How could God cast all our sins into the depth of the sea? And you say, well, because God is merciful, and that's why he does it. But that's not the whole story. Because God is not only merciful, God is also just. God must forgive sin in such a way that he shows mercy and he satisfies his own justice. We've seen that before. If an earthly judge simply disregarded the crimes of guilty people, he would be an unjust judge. What kind of God would simply ignore transgression? That would be an unjust God. God cannot simply forgive sin by a wave of his hand, as it were, by simply an act of his sovereign power and will. His justice must be satisfied. He says it himself in Exodus 34, verse 7. God reveals this to Moses about himself. Exodus 34, verse 7. Keeping mercy for thousands... Forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. So far, so good. And that will by no means clear the guilty. So God keeps mercy. God forgives iniquity and transgression and sin. And God will by no means clear the guilty. And if God will by no means clear the guilty, then how can God forgive sin? And how can God forgive us? And the answer is found in Jesus Christ. And the answer was anticipated throughout the Old Testament because throughout the Old Testament, God showed time and time again that his justice is satisfied and he forgives sins. And he permits people to approach him and have fellowship with him on the basis of a sacrifice. God was teaching throughout the Old Testament the necessity of this sacrifice. And the people understood, of course, back then, the believing people of God did anyway, understood that the blood 
of bulls and goats and lambs sprinkled upon the altar did not actually take away their sins. They knew that. But it pointed to one who would. And so by faith they looked forward to the seed of Abraham, to the Messiah, who would by his one sacrifice actually and really and truly take away sins. And that one sacrifice took place on the cross where Jesus, the Son of God, in his real human nature, suffered and died. And so apply all of those wonderful biblical phrases in Micah 7 to Jesus Christ. When God lifts up or carries away the burden of sin, where did that burden go? He took it from us and he placed it on the shoulders of his son and his son willingly bore that burden all the way to the cross where he suffered and died under that burden. When God passed by our rebellion or transgression, he did not simply disregard it and sweep it under the carpet, as it were. He took that transgression and rebellion and he accounted it to his own son and his son suffered the punishment for that rebellion. When God let go of his anger, he turned that anger upon his son who died under his wrath in our place. When God subdued our iniquities, it is only because he crushed his own son under the burden of those iniquities. And when God cast our sins into the depth of the sea, it is because, as Psalm 69 puts it, he plunged his own son under the billows of God's wrath. So God delights to show mercy to us. We believe in Jesus Christ because he did not show mercy to his own son. God spared us who believe in Jesus Christ because he did not spare his own son. And thus God's mercy is displayed wonderfully in the cross of Jesus Christ. God's mercy toward us and God's justice God's justice is displayed wonderfully as well. God's justice directed toward his son. That was the price that had to be paid in order for us to be forgiven. And that was the price that God was willing to pay. And that was the price that the son of God was willing to pay in order to secure our pardon. Does that mean then that everyone in the world is automatically forgiven because God delights in mercy and because Jesus Christ has died upon the cross? No, it means that God has a purpose to save for himself out of this world 
out of every nation, tribe, and tongue, a particular people. And that people are those who will believe in Jesus Christ. And so the call comes to us this evening. Believe in Jesus Christ. Believe that he is the Son of God. Believe that he has died on the cross to pay for the sins of his people. Turn from your sin in sorrow of heart and turn away from every other attempt to procure for yourself the forgiveness of sins and trust in the accomplished, perfect work of Jesus Christ. Believe in Jesus Christ, and the promise of the gospel is, and you shall receive the forgiveness of sins. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Hope PR Ministry Podcast. We are a part of the Protestant Reformed Churches in America, and we are located in West Michigan. Our goal is to spread our distinctive Reformed beliefs. If you have any questions or feedback, please feel free to reach out to us at hoperwc at gmail.com and visit our website at hopeprchurch.org if you would like to learn more about our beliefs. You can also worship with us every Sunday at 9 a.m. and 5 p.m.